morning, Southview. We are so excited to have you worshiping with us this morning. Here are your big three announcements for the week. Our missions ministry is having a fundraiser dinner and silent auction next month on Saturday, March 18th. The cost for these tickets for a chicken plate is $8. We'd love for you to come and support missions in this way by texting the word TICKET to 910-424-1298. Hey guys, you don't want to miss this year's 2023 men's retreat. Last year's was amazing. God did such a phenomenal work, so you don't want to miss it. The cost for that trip for an adult guy is $175. Youth guys are $110 with a deposit due of $50. You can go ahead and sign up by texting the word retreat to 910-424-1298. And hey, Southview, what an amazing opportunity to be involved with not only our church, but other churches in the area. We are going to be having a prayer walk downtown in Fayetteville on Saturday, March 25th. So we'll keep you posted on the details for that, but we would love for you to be a part of coming and reaching this city for Jesus. We encourage you for all the other announcements to download the Southview Baptist Church app at Google Play or iTunes, and you'll be able to find all the other information there. So take a moment and download our app. And there are multiple ways for you to give. Uh, you can give online through the app, or you can give on either uh, side of the sanctuary in the giving boxes located near the exits. And if you're a guest with us visiting today, we would love to begin to connect with you. So if you'll just text the word CONNECT to that same number, 910-424-1298, and this lets us know how we can get in touch with you, uh, begin to minister to you, and how we can pray for you. 
So thank you for worshiping again with us today. All right, well, good morning, Southview. How are you today? What a wonderful opportunity. I want to just, yes, I want to drive home the, the, the truth that to serve one another is, is what God calls us to do, right? So if you don't have a place of service right now, I encourage you to find something, not because the church needs people to step up, not any of that, but because our hearts are turned closer to God and because God serves us through Christ and he commands us to serve one another. And so this is a perfect opportunity, you know, and whatever your skill set is, everyone has been given a gift. So I pray that God would move in your hearts and cause you to use that gift for his glory. Stand with us and let's sing and let's celebrate these truths.
pay attention to what we profess to be true in our hearts and that we would make sure that it truly aligns with what is in our hearts. Man on his own is wicked and depraved, unable to respond to you, but by your graciousness, by your mercies through the sacrifice of your son Jesus, God, you call us, you enable us to respond. I pray that you would you would draw this, this group of people here today together in a way that is just unexplainable, that your spirit would take hold of every living thing in this room and cause us to worship you. I pray for the man or for the woman or the child that is in here that has never heard the gospel or has never responded that you would call them home today. Lord, as we sing these songs, let us just be still and know that you are holy and righteous i 
continue worshiping you and your word and your power will just be evident and real to us. I pray, God, what we sing will stay in our hearts, Lord, that we will say right now, it is just you and nothing else. And so our hearts just turn to you. Our desires are set on you. We just need you. Thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, before we jump into the word, I want to circle back real quick to one of our announcements from earlier, prayer walk on March 25th. Uh, so um, sort of what stirred this was um, I began to meet with uh, several other pastors in our area. Uh, we just started meeting once a month, just kind of talking and hanging out and praying together, and we just began to be stirred, obviously, even more so for the city that we live, the community in which we live, and that God would do a great and awesome thing here. And so as we were going through that, we just said, hey, we just need to get our people together and pray. So the idea became birthed of us doing a prayer walk um, um, in our community, in our county. We have churches spread all over the place. You know, we're down here in Hope Mills, and I'm hanging out with pastors from all over the area. So we just said, well, let's just kind of get centralized, downtown Fayetteville. Um, and let's just do a prayer walk there. So that's where March 25th came in. And, and I want to encourage you with all of my heart to be there on that Saturday. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with what is going on um, at uh, Asbury University in Kentucky and what, what, what seems to be the Lord's just doing a powerful work there among a bunch of just college kids that just, um, listen, you know, I know a lot of people are kind of like, what's going on there? What's happening? I know this. College kids want to pray for 24 hours straight and worship Jesus I'm cool with that. Amen? Right, that's uh, that's going to be a good thing. And so, uh, so we're just excited about that. And, and, and the heart is that, that God would do a powerful work here. Not that he would do the same thing here or we want to catch that, catch the flu or something. But, but God wants... Uh, we just got through finishing going through the book of Second Chronicles, looking at the idea of revival and how God desires to, to 
to, 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 to revive and restore and to stir up his people for his glory. And we said that one of the ways he does that is through prayer. And so it would be a very, we would be the definition of the book of James where it says you look in the mirror and, you're, and then you turn away and you forget who you are. And that's how we do the Bible, right? We look at the Bible and go, hey, the Bible says to do that. And we, talk, we, walk, we turn away from it. We don't do it. If we look at the Bible saying, hey, here's what revival means and how that happens, we go, yeah, that's great. And here's a chance for us to gather with other Christians around our area and pray together. We're like, I still get church on Sunday. I think that would be a mistake. And so I want to encourage you, be there the 25th, all right? Be there the 25th. We'll tell you more about it, more details in the next couple of weeks. Um, but very excited about what the Lord is doing with that. So I just want to encourage you to go ahead and circle your calendars that for March 25th downtown. Uh, if you've got a Bible, let's find the book of Colossians together. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1. Today we're going to begin a new series in the book of Colossians called Jesus is Greater Than Everything. Uh, so you might wonder how, how I select what we go through, what I preach. Uh, so there are a few things that kind of guide that. Uh, one is this. I primarily, 90% of what you're going to see me do on a Sunday morning is I'm going through a book of the Bible. That's about 90% of what I do on a Sunday. I do that for a couple of reasons. One, I believe that's the best way for us to, to unpack the whole counsel of God's word. I believe that protects you from me. So it's not just me up here giving my thoughts and opinions like I matter. It's just me saying, look, here's what God said in the word, right? So we primarily go through books of the Bible. As I'm seeking the Lord about what books to preach through, a lot of times I'll go, you'll maybe notice this if you've been paying attention, I'll go a lot of Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. I kind of flop back and forth. I do that on purpose by design because I want us to see, again, the whole counsel of God's Word. I want to see how the whole Bible really does fit together. I want to see how the whole Bible teaches the main truth that Jesus is the hero. And so I do Old Testament, New Testament to kind of drive that. And, and with those being sort of the guiding principles, then what I do is I just get on my face before God. I say, okay, Lord, what is happening in our lives? What is happening in our hearts? What is happening in our church? What is happening in the world? And what book of the Bible is going to fit well to that? And let me uh, walk through that. So that's why, again, we just finished Second Chronicles. Because as we were just seeking the Lord on this, we say, people of God need to be revived. We're lethargic and apathetic in our walk with the Lord, and this is not glorifying to God. So we need to dive in to God's book on revival, Second Chronicles, and see how does revival work in the hearts of God's people. So we just finished that up. Back in 2022, as we were seeking the Lord, what we, what we thought was, okay, we have a lot of people in our congregation who say, this is what I believe, but your life doesn't look like that. Right? I mean, I'm on Facebook. So, so what we said was, well, what does the Bible say to that? So, so we went through books like James and Titus. James that says, all right, look, you say you have faith, that's great, but faith without works is dead. Your faith means nothing if it doesn't change your life. Or, or Titus that says, all right, Jesus saved you and made you right with him so that you would now live a life of good works. And if you're not living a life of good works, something's wrong with your salvation, and so we just kind of unpack there throughout 2022 of, look, here's what you say you believe in. That's awesome. Praise God for that. But here's how that should affect your life. So now we find ourselves going through the book of Colossians. So why Colossians? So um, there's a church in a town called Colossae. It was started by a man named Epaphras. So Epaphras was in the city of Ephesus, met a dude named Paul. 
Paul started telling them about Jesus. Epaphras got saved and said, people in my hometown need to hear about this. So he left Ephesus, went back to his hometown in Colossae to tell his friends and family about Jesus and start a church. And that's what he did. In fact, you can see that if you're in Colossians 1, look at verses 7 and 8. I just want to show you this. Verse 7, you learn this. This is Paul writing. You learn this from Epaphras. Our dearly loved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras goes back, he starts this church, things are going awesome, but there becomes a problem, all right? There's this weird, goofy teaching that starts rising up, it's called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, real quick, 30,000 foot cliff note version. Gnosticism is this belief that physical world is bad, spiritual world is good. All right, physical bad, spiritual good. And this was a dualistic idea. And that even to the point that God had to go through this bizarre, goofy, long process to create the world because he had to create some distance between material, which was bad, and him, which is holy and good, right? So it started getting weird. And then they said, well, the only way that you can really have a relationship with God is if you had this secret knowledge, right? The secret handshake thing. And if you learn the secret knowledge, then you can really have a relationship with God. In fact, the word Gnostic literally means the knowing one. So if you know this certain thing about God, the special hidden thing about God, the secret, then you can have a relationship with him. So people started going through all these bizarre ways of getting this knowledge. For some, it was about their, their, their good works, right? If I, if I obey the Jewish laws, if I don't eat bacon or shrimp or bacon-wrapped shrimp, which is from heaven... Right? If we get circumcised, if we obey the Sabbath, if we do those things, then, then that's going to be our pathway into knowing. Right? Other people went to the opposite side. Like, no, 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 no. God knows my heart, and my heart loves him, and he's going to figure all that out in the end. So on earth, eat, drink, and be merry, man, for tomorrow we die. Just do what you want to do. Live how you want to live. Other people thought, well, you need to engage in spirituality. So they started becoming obsessed with angels and demons and all this stuff. Other people started getting obsessed with worldly philosophies and ideas. Right? What does the world say that we need to do? How does the world say we need to live? Maybe that's going to be our path. And Epaphras is, is seeing this in his church, and he's so burdened by it, he walks the distance from Fayetteville to Dallas, Texas. He walks the equivalent of half the United States so that he could visit Paul in Rome while Paul's in prison and sit down with Paul and say, here's what's happening, help me. And so Paul sits down and he writes what we now know as the book of Colossians. And the idea behind the book of Colossians is this. You're trying to find meaning and worth and wisdom, and purpose, and direction from all of these things. But you have to see that all of that is worthless. The, Jesus is greater. Jesus is the only way you're going to find meaning, and worth, and direction, and purpose, and value, and true knowledge from God. The point of Colossians is that Jesus is colossal. Jesus is huge and glorious and mighty and strong. Jesus is greater than all angels and demons. Jesus is greater than all people and places. Jesus is greater than every philosophy and idea. Jesus is greater. And that when you see how glorious and beautiful and amazing and awesome Jesus is, 
You're drawn to him, and then he changes you. When you see that Jesus is greater than everything, then Jesus starts to change everything about you. When you see how great and awesome and beautiful Jesus is, you take your eyes off the stupid things of this world because all you want is more Jesus. And this is why we're going to take the next three months and dive into Galatians because just like the people in Colossae needed a clearer picture of how glorious and awesome and beautiful and amazing Jesus is, Paul's like, look, no, no, forget that other stuff. If you just see how great Jesus is, if you just see how glorious and amazing and beautiful and powerful and awesome Jesus is, he's going to change you. He's going to change the way you think, the way you act, the way you interact with your spouse, the way you interact with your kids, the way you interact at work, the way you see this world, everything. The answer is Jesus. And that's why we need Colossians. Because brothers and sisters, I, Brad Lynch, need desperately to be reminded of how glorious and amazing Jesus is because I very easily allow my heart and mind to bend towards this world. And the only thing that's going to stop that from happening is if I see something better draw me over here. And his name is Jesus. And the same is true for you. The answer for you is not to live better or be better or go to church more or stop that bad thing and start that good thing. Right? I say that a thousand times. The greatest thing you need is to see who Jesus truly is. And if you see who Jesus truly is, you will run after him. He is that treasure that when you see how glorious and beautiful and amazing and valuable he is, you gladly sell everything else in this world to get him because he's worth it. And then he changes you. So the book of Colossians is about you and I seeing how colossal Jesus is. So you've got Paul, and he's writing this letter. And he begins this letter like he begins a lot of his letters. Right? He begins the letter by like, hey, I'm Paul, that's my boy Timothy, God sent us here to tell you about Jesus. Right? He starts all of his letters like that. Then he does something different though. Paul doesn't, like, he's got a big task ahead of him. His big task is he's got to unpack who Jesus is. Right? That's a tough test. He's got to explain the Colossians. Here's how glorious and amazing and beautiful and powerful and awesome and precious Jesus is. So turn away from everything and just go to Jesus. You would think if that's his task and he needs to do that shortly under the length of, you know, war and peace, then he needs to jump right to the work. He needs to get right into it, but he doesn't. What we're going to see today is the first thing Paul does is not teach necessarily. The first thing he does not do is correct necessarily. When Paul is set in front of this task of explaining who Jesus is, the first thing he does is pray. You see that. If you look down in chapter 1, look at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Look down in verse 9. We haven't stopped praying for you. 
He knew, look, I've got such a huge task. The only way anyone is ever going to see how awesome Jesus is is if God himself supernaturally opens their eyes to see it. You can't do it on your own. So he's praying right out of the gate. Like, I've got a huge task ahead of me. And the only way that's ever going to get accomplished is if God himself opens the eyes of your hearts to see Jesus for who he truly is. So this is what he does. So what we're going to do today is just kind of unpack for a few minutes what his prayer is. And then we're going to spend some time on the back end praying. All right? Because we need the same thing. We need God to open up the eyes of our hearts so we can really see who Jesus is. So let's look at what Paul prayed. First thing I want to see, we're going to kind of break it down into two sections, all right, for, for easy consumption, all right? Part one I want you to see of Paul's prayer is this. Paul is praying that, uh, he, he, well, he, he's praying, he's praising God, and he's thanking God for what God has already done in these people, all right? So we'll see that here in a second. First thing he does is this. He's praising God and he's thanking God for what God's already done. So pick that up in verse 3, all right, if you've got a Bible. Colossians 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, it is all, it as, it, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Paul's thanking God that these Christians heard the gospel, received the gospel, believed the gospel, and then were changed by the gospel. Look what he's saying here. Right? He, the end of verse 5, this gospel, verse 6, which has come to you and is indeed in the whole world, it is, just like it is in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. He's praising God that these people have come to know Jesus and are being changed by Jesus. He's praising God for what God's already done in them. Likewise, for you. If you've trusted by faith in Christ, God has already done miraculous things in you. Step one for you growing in the Lord is going to be this. You realizing what God's already done in you. Sometimes we can be our own worst critics, right? Which isn't necessarily bad sometimes. But we know all the things we have to still grow in that we lose sight of the things we have grown in, right? We get all consumed with all the stuff we still need to do. I'm still this and I still get angry and I still yell at my kids and blah, blah, blah. Instead of focusing on what God has done. Listen, if you have been saved, if you have gone from death to life in Christ, God has done a miracle in you. You are. If you are a Christian right here, right now, again, we lose sight of this because we just, we just sort of like, well, I just walked down, I took the pastor's hand, and I prayed a prayer. If you are a Christian today, you are legitimately a walking miracle. You were dead and God supernaturally brought you to life. If you are convicted about things today that you didn't used to be convicted about, that is awesome. That's amazing. If today you have any desire at all to read your Bible and grow in greater knowledge of Christ, 
that is amazing. God is working in you. The key to you being excited about what God's going to do next is being filled with excitement about what he's already done now. Or think about losing weights, right? You hop on the scale, you've seen you dropped a few pounds, you're like, let's go back to the gym. You get excited because you see progress. I love encouraging people with what I see God doing in them. That's the funnest thing. I want to encourage you to keep doing that. As you see God doing something in someone's life, tell them, I really see God doing this in you. I really see God growing you in this. I just want to encourage you, man. God is doing that work in you. People love hearing that. Why? Because it's in the Bible. This is what Paul did. Right? He's about to talk about all the things he wants to see happen in them. But the first thing he does is say, but here's what I do know. And from the second we heard about what God was doing in your life, we have not stopped thanking God for that. We're so, we're so excited. I want to encourage you again. The Bible describes the gospel like a small little mustard seed. And it starts very small. It gets planted in your heart and it's very small. But then it grows and 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 it grows. And it, grows. it starts small. But it's a miracle. It's going to keep growing. I want to encourage you. God is doing a good work in you. Be excited about that. Praise him for that. And then the second part is this. Not only is Paul excited and thankful and praising God for what he has done, but I want you to see the second part. This is where we're going to kind of focus in on for a few moments. Paul is praying for God to do even more in them. This is where I want to hang out for a few moments. God has saved you, and he is doing a miraculous work. But I want you to hear me. He truly, legitimately desires to do even more in you. Even more. Uh, look at verse 9. Jump down to verse 9. He says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. I just want you to stop just for a second. As you read that passage, I want you to understand, Paul is not content. He's not happy with where they are. and Like, all right, great. He wants to see even more in them. He wants to see even more fruit bear out, even more God-glorifying actions and work in their lives. He wants to see God do even more in them. Do you want to see that? Do you want to see that in you? Do you want to see God do even more? Praise God for what he's done. I know many people in this room like, look, I am not perfect, but you should have seen me two years ago. You would have locked the doors and not let me in this building. God has done awesome, amazing things. Do you want to see even more? Don't grow apathetic. 
Don't grow content. There needs to be a holy discontent inside us constantly. Where I just want more of God and more of God. I want Him to do even more in me. I want to pursue Him even deeper. I want Him to bear out even more fruit in me. I'm not okay with the fact that I'm not as bad as I used to be. I want to grow deeper in holiness and glorify Him and walk in purity and walk in His love and walk in His life and walk in His power. Do you want even more? This is what He's asking for. Look back at verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking what? That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That idea of filled, again, it means to, 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 to be quite literally filled up. It means to be made mature, be made, made complete. Think about it again like a cup. Right? Your soul, your heart. It's a cup. Not everybody is filled up the same. Now, we're all saved in Christ. No one has more Jesus than anyone else. No one has more Holy Spirit than anyone else. And at the same time, there are different levels of filling here in the knowledge of God. How filled up are you in the knowledge of God? When it says here, the knowledge... Um, so it, uh, it's a, a, a Greek word that means a, a thorough, deep, intense, specific knowing of something, right? It, the same root word from this is going to come from a word that's used in the Hebrew um, to uh, describe relationship between a husband and a wife. And Adam knew Eve and she bore a son. The idea is... Between a husband and a wife, because of the nature of their relationship, they quite literally know each other in a way no other human on earth knows them. There's a knowing and an intimacy there that no one else has. And that's the same way God is describing what he desires you to be filled up with in him. A kind of intense, deep, personal, intimate, specific knowing of God. To be filled, filled up to overflowing with that kind of personal, deep, intimate, specific knowledge of what? Filled up with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. To be filled up with the knowledge of God's will. In other words, God desires for you to be filled up with his spiritual wisdom and understanding. The word wisdom is sort of a broad term, right? Knowing God's character, his nature, his ways, who he is. Um, and understanding is more of a specific. Now, how do you live that out? Like on a day-to-day basis. You know broadly who God is from his word. You're filled up with an intimate, real, deep, profound knowledge of God. Who he is, what he loves, what he hates, what makes him tick. His character, his nature, his ways, his works. You're filled up up with God so that you're able to now apply that to the every specific area of your life. God wants you to be so filled up with him. So filled up with him that when you squeeze, like you squeeze an orange and orange juice comes out, you squeeze a Christian because you're so filled up with him. You squeeze a Christian and the ways and works and glory of God comes gushing out of you. And you're filled up with him. You're so filled up with him that everything about you is led by him. 
Is this us? I want you to know God wants to fill you up even more in him. Don't get content. God wants to show you even more of who he is. Even more of how he works. Even more of his character and his nature and his ways. He wants to fill you up so that you can apply that as you walk through all of life. And look at the way this is described. Look down at verse 10. So he wants us to be filled up with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So real quick, we've got to unpack that. He wants you filled up with the knowledge of who he is, how he works, what he loves, what he hates. Filled up with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of God imparting the, the fullness of God and applying it to specific areas of your life through God's Word. That's how we're going to get this knowledge, diving into God's Word, seeing who He is from His revealed world, Word in us, poured into our lives for a very specific reason. So that. If you want to learn how to study your Bible, look for those connecting words and phrases. He wants this to happen so that this will happen. He wants you filled up with the knowledge of God's will so that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So the word worthy has the idea of scales, right? You know, like like old school scales, right? And you try to kind of balance them out, like what the weight is over here. You try to put equal weight over here and you, you balance it out so that it has equal worth. And that's the way it's describing it. Now, just faith in Christ makes you worthy. You're not earning your salvation. You're not doing anything to make God love you more. But here's the point. I need you to hear this, okay? What the Bible is clearly telling you is this. There is a way to live that shows you truly have been changed by Christ. You walk in a manner worthy of that, fully pleasing to God. And... There's a way you can walk that throws those scales out of balance and no one knows what in the world's going on with you. No one knows what's up. You call yourself a Christian, but your scales are out of whack. You are not living in a way that fully pleases God. Think about all the people in your life you try to please. Maybe the only person in your life you try to please is you. There's someone more important than you. And what he thinks of you matters than what you think of you. And what he's trying to tell you is there's a way that you can live that will make your life fully pleasing and glorifying to God. There's a way that you can live that shows how much you value. Again, the point isn't that you become worthy. The point is you're you're living a life in such a way where you show how worthy you see Jesus is. That's the point. It's not that you are becoming worthy, but that you're showing in the way you live that you think Jesus is this worthy. Jesus is so glorious and so amazing and so awesome. He's worth me not having sex with that person. He's so glorious and so amazing and so awesome. He's worth me not doing that and not talking in that way and not provoking that because he's worthy. He's worthy of it. Your point is, you see how worthy Jesus is, so you just want to live in a certain way. 
And I want you to see that that life there is connected to you being filled with the knowledge of God's will. The number one cause of heartache in this world, listen to this, the number one cause of heartache in your life is spiritual ignorance. That is the number one cause of heartache. You are not filled with the knowledge of God, who he is and what he desires. So you do your own way, go your own path, do your own thing, and set your dumpster on fire. Spiritual ignorance is the problem. Living a life that's pleasing to God is directly connected to having yourself filled up with the knowledge of God. His will, his ways, his desires, his character, his nature, filled up with all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you can live in a way that brings glory and honor to him and shows that you value and are wor- how worthy the life of Jesus was to be shed for you and that you live a life that now pleases God. And it kind of unpacks a little bit of what this pleasing life looks like. Verse 10 will give you kind of 10, 11, and 12 kind of give you three things to kind of unpack this pleasing life. First thing, it says you're going to be bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You're going to bear fruit. When it, the Bible talks about bearing fruit, he's talking about living a life that shows a change by Jesus. You're bearing fruit. You're giving an example of how you've been changed by Christ. Do you bear fruit? And you think about, again, a tree that's growing fruit, an apple tree. How do you know if an apple tree is a good apple tree? It grows apples, right? It's not really complicated. You wouldn't look at an apple tree that bears no apples and go, that's a great tree. No, it's not. You know what that tree is good for? Again, biblical analogies here. You know what God does to trees that don't bear fruit? He cuts them down and throws them in the fire. Because good trees are supposed to bear good fruit. It's just what you do. It's what shows you're actually alive. It's what shows that you actually are a child of God. You bear fruit. And the way that you're going to bear even more fruit and more fruit and more fruit and more fruit is by being filled even more and more and more with the knowledge of God. It talks about that there connected with bearing fruit. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The word increase there just means to multiply, to grow, to expand. The more you grow in your knowledge of God, the more you're filled with the knowledge of God, the more you pursue knowing who God is and desire Him in true knowing relationship, the more fruit you're going to bear. I mean, again, going back to the husband-wife analogy. Has a husband and wife bear the fruit of children? There's knowing intimacy. In the same way with God. How are you going to bear fruit for God? You grow in knowing intimacy. You increase in the knowledge of who God is. And as a result of that, you, you bear more fruit for Him and His glory. Not only that, you jump down to verse 11. What also happens with this life pleasing to God as you grow in the knowledge of God You're being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. You're living in his strength. As you grow in the knowledge of God, 
One of the things that happens is you get to live in his strength. There's something really cool happening here in the Greek you don't see in the English. And I try to spare the Greek geek stuff for when it matters, and I think it matters. So look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So if you've got a pen or a pencil, you can circle two words, power and might. Those are two different words in Greek. Power, dunamis, right? It's where we eventually get our English word dynamite. Power, poof. It's the ability to do something, right? And it says you have, you're going to have power according to, through, by God's glorious might. The word might is different. The word might is kratos. And it's, and it's a Greek word that's only used of God and his power. So here's what it's saying here. The only way you are going to have any power in this life is if you hook yourself up to God and receive from him the power that can only come from him. You can't do it on your own. You can't have enough strength. You can't have enough power. You can't have enough anything. You have to connect with the glorious might of God and God alone. And through that you're empowered to now what? Specifically, to go through all endurance and patience with joy. No matter what you hit in life. No matter what difficult path you go through. No matter what thing that comes your way. You're able to walk through that glorifying and honoring God because you are hooked up and connected to His glorious might. And the only way you do that is if you grow in the knowledge of Him and realize He's my only hope. I can't have power in myself. I need Him. Why would I go to me? I know how glorious He is, so I go to Him. I need His might to empower me to be able to walk in a way that brings glory and honor to him, especially when I'm going through times where I need endurance and patience so I can go through that joyfully for his glory. And, and then verse 12, the last thing we're doing is we're thanking God for his miraculous work in us. We're giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. God is the one who has qualified you. God is the one who has made you worthy of being his son, being his daughter. So see the way this works. God is the one who makes you worthy. God is the one who glorifies you to be his child. And you're so overwhelmed with thankfulness for that, you now live in a way that shows the worth of the, what God did to make you his child. So as you grow in the knowledge of God, as you're filled up with the knowledge of God, you bear fruits in his name. You walk in His power and strength. You're constantly full of thanks for who God is and what He has done in you. You can't get over it. And as you're doing this, you're growing now even more and more and more in the knowledge of God. And how, how, does, how does Jesus make this possible? Look at verse 13. How does Jesus make any of this possible? Colossians 1.13 he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God delivered you. God transferred you. God rescued you out of darkness and placed you into the kingdom of the son, redeeming you, buying you out of your sin, forgiving you. The word forgiveness is so cool. It literally means to take your sin and throw it away. He just throws it away. Like, it's done. I don't want to see it anymore. I just want to see you as my child. 
Here's the amazing thing, and I want us to see this. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ shed his blood so that you can be delivered out of all the darkness of this world. So that you can be placed in to the kingdom of God. So that you can be made a child and, and a son and daughter of God. So that you can now enter into a real intimate relationship with God and grow in more and more and more and more knowledge of Him. This is who God is. This is what He desires for you. So as we go through the book of Colossians, we begin here. This is an act of God. God Himself has to do this. God loves you, and God has sent His Son to die for you. And if you trusted by faith in Him, God has already done amazing and glorious things in you. But He wants to do even more. So how do we do this? I'm going to ask our band to come up. And as they are, I want you to think about an Old Testament story. So, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know a man named Abraham. So, God comes to Abraham. Abraham was just slightly younger than dirt. And his wife, um, his wife is referred to in the Bible as as good as dead. I'm not sure how old you have to be to cross that line. I'm going to let you just personally come up with that on your own. I'm not going to fancy a, a guess on that one. But not only were they both elderly, Sarah, Abraham's wife, was barren. She couldn't have kids. Right? So they're elderly, they're childless, and Sarah is completely barren. And then God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. Sarah, his wife, is so convinced that's stupid, she literally laughs at God. She just laughs at him. And then the angel's like, did you just laugh? And she's like, no, I didn't laugh. You totally laughed, like we just heard you. And so God says, look, I'm going to give you a child. And sure enough, a year from that point, she had Isaac, which by the way means laughter. But here's what I want you to see. Two things are very important. So again, we're going to be going through the book of Colossians. And I want you to take this seriously. Because two things are going to happen, okay? In order for you and I to be forever changed, in order for you and I to bear fruit for God's glory, in order for you and I to just be radically impacted and bearing fruit, and our families change, and our marriage change, and our worlds change, and our lives change, in order for that to happen, the only way that happens is if we see Jesus for who he truly is, and we're drawn to Him, and we desire Him, and we run after Him. But there are kind of two sides to this. And I want you to see this. So Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, and it was a miracle of God. An absolute, 100% miracle of God. And you know how Abraham and Sarah had Isaac? The good old-fashioned way. They were intimate as a husband and wife. Sarah went through the absolute normal pregnancy process. Right? 
fertilization and egg and baby and growing and nine months and giving birth, the whole deal, the whole thing. So on one hand, it looked very natural. And on the other hand, it was 100% supernatural. You see what's happening there? So here's what this means. God uses ordinary, normal means to do supernatural things in us. The only way you are going to see Jesus for who he truly is is if you dive into his word, you take this seriously, and you pursue Jesus with everything that you have. You fall on your face, you say, I am, I am making the decision today to turn from all the sin that I've allowed in my heart and life. I am turning from that. I don't want that. I'm turning to you. I want you, Jesus. I'm pursuing you, Jesus. I'm committing to dive into your words so I can see more clearly who you are. I want to fill myself with the knowledge of who you are, God. And the only way that's going to happen, that ain't osmosis. You don't sleep with the Bible under your pillow. It happens by you getting up, opening the Bible, and reading it. Very natural means. But then at the same time, we're praying. And through those natural means, God does something supernatural in us. And just like Abraham and Sarah went through the normal process, God intervened in that normal process and did a supernatural thing. And the same for us. We're praying today that God as we seek him with every bit of strength that we have, he will do a supernatural thing in us. So I want to ask you to bow your heads for me. And I want us to take just a minute here to pray. And we're going to seek God. We're going to pursue God. But again, if we learn anything from Paul today, it's this. The only way any of this is ever going to happen it's if God himself supernaturally opens up the eyes of our hearts to see and believe. It's not going to happen beyond that. We're going to pursue him. We're going to read. We're going to study. We're going to learn. We're going to grow. We're going to seek to do everything we can in our physical selves to be filled up with the knowledge of God. But we need God to light it on fire. So I want you to take some time here today and pray. Pray for yourself, pray for those that you love, pray for the people around you, pray that God would open up our hearts to, 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 to receive and be made new. We've got some prayer prompts on the screen. You can go through that if you'd like, or you can just pray on yourself, whatever you'd like. But we need to take some time today asking God to do what only God can do. Open up the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus for who he is. And then we would see how glorious and awesome and beautiful and amazing and huge he is. So God, do this in us. In your name. Amen.
as we continue to pray, our band is going to lead us, and they're going to sing over us. And they're going to sing over us a song that says, Believe for it. What you're praying for right now, I want to encourage you to have faith and believe for that. Trust God for that. You're going to leave this room, and you're going to go do everything within your power to pursue God, and we want you to do that. The Apostle Paul said, I, I worked harder than anyone in pursuing the Lord. But it wasn't I who did it, it was Christ in me. I want us to take time today and I want us to set our hearts on trusting God to do what only He can do. Open up our hearts to see Him for who He is. God, do this in us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Again, I encourage you to stand and worship through song you can you can worship through your prayers you can come to the altar but in all things i pray that you would that you would be obedient to the holy spirit and what he calls you to do right here right now what decisions he is desiring that you make who he's desiring you to pray for in all things let us do of worship as we spend time together. Let's sing.
tell us, you say, don't give up praying. I'm not saying that our prayers will, that you don't have to do anything, but God, you call your people to be faithful in prayer. Father, for these requests being lifted up, I pray that if it's in your will, that you would do everything, everything that's being asked of you so that your name might be glorified. We're just going to sit here for a second, church. We're going to sing. We're going to celebrate. We're going to rest in who God is.